0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, April 6, 2018. Today, Facebook labels political ads, cryptocurrencies might run afoul of GDPR, SpaceX can't post videos from space, bots help you beat parking tickets, the weekend long reads, and what's the story behind Fortnite? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Well, it's time for the seemingly daily Facebook news rundown. I was kind of only half-joking last week when I said maybe we should have a special breaking news bumper just for Facebook stories. Actually, if somebody wanted to edit together a little jingle for Zuckerberg's congressional testimony next week, I'd seriously consider playing it. This afternoon, Facebook made two big announcements. Last October, the company had said that only authorized advertisers would be able to run Electoral ads on Facebook or Instagram, and today they extended that requirement to advertisers wanting to run so-called issue ads surrounding political or controversial topics. Going forward, only verified advertisers will be able to post electoral or issue ads on Facebook, and those ads will be gaining a prominent political ad label. Second, Facebook is now making it harder for fake accounts to run pages, Going forward, users who manage pages with a large number of followers will need to be authenticated and verified by Facebook itself. On his personal Facebook page, CEO Mark Zuckerberg highlighted these changes by writing, quote, With important elections coming up in the US, Mexico, Brazil, India, Pakistan, and more countries in the next year, one of my top priorities for 2018 is making sure we support positive discourse and prevent interference in those elections. These steps by themselves won't stop all people trying to game the system, but they will make it a lot harder for anyone to do what the Russians did during the 2016 election and use fake accounts and pages to run ads. Earlier this morning, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg gave an interview to NBC's Savannah Guthrie on The Today Show, parts of which aired Thursday night. Some headline-making quotes from Sandberg's interview. We made mistakes, and I own them and they're on me. There are operational things that we need to change in this company, and we are changing them. We have to learn from our mistakes, and we need to take action. Also, quote, We announced two earnings calls ago that we were going to make much bigger investments in safety and security. We underinvested, and I take responsibility for that. When Guthrie asked why Facebook didn't follow up when it found out that Cambridge Analytica was abusing user data back in 2016. Sandberg said, quote, you're right, we could have done this two and a half years ago. We thought the data had been deleted and we should have checked. We thought it had been deleted because they gave us assurances and it wasn't until other people told us it wasn't true, but we had legal assurances from them that they deleted. But what we didn't do was the next step of an audit and we're trying to do that now. Sandberg confirmed that Facebook will roll out the data and privacy controls required under Europe's forthcoming General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, to cover every user worldwide, not just those Facebook users living in Europe. Quote, Europe was ahead on this, Sandberg said. More on GDPR in a second. Yesterday, there was also a bit of a stir when tech reporters and other Facebook users noticed that some old Facebook messages they had received from Mark Zuckerberg himself had disappeared from their Facebook inboxes, while their own replies to Zuckerberg still remained. Zuckerberg's messages no longer appeared in inboxes or the files available from Facebook's Download Your Information tool. When further pressed by TechCrunch's Josh Constein, Facebook released the following statement, after Sony Pictures' emails were hacked in 2014, we made a number of changes to protect our executives' communications. These included limiting the retention period for Mark's messages in Messenger. We did so in full compliance with our legal obligations to preserve messages, quote. This did not sit well with many people. Journalist and activist Jillian C. York tweeted, Privacy for Zuck, none for you. And The Verge's Casey Newton tweeted, deleting Mark's messages while leaving the recipients intact highlights Facebook's actual views on privacy better than any statement it makes on the subject ever will. This morning, Facebook got back to Konstein and said that it would soon be adding an unsend feature to messages so you too can throw old messages down the memory hole. Facebook told Constein that it had been planning the feature already and intended to roll it out in coming months. In the meantime, Facebook also promised not to unsend or delete any more of Zuckerberg's previously sent messages. So GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, has been coming up a lot in these past few weeks. What exactly is it? Check the show notes and listen for the long read segment later on because I share a really concise summation of what it is and how it might shape the Internet going forward. But one key thing that it does do is allow EU residents to request that their personal data be erased from a company's records. After May 25th, if a user makes such a request, the Internet company involved must comply or face heavy fines. And that might be problematic for blockchain companies. A recent blog post by the Washington, D.C. think tank Coin Center says that blockchain technologies might be fundamentally incompatible with GDPR and suggests that Europe should accept things like Bitcoin from the law's data deletion provisions. This is because people can store personal data in blockchains, and the very nature of blockchains is they're decentralized. There's no single authority in charge of them. In the blog post, CoinCenter's Jerry Brito wrote, quote, GDPR presumes that there will be central intermediaries that can erase information, but the world is trending toward ever more decentralized and immutable technologies. While firms may alter their behavior to comply with the new law, decentralized networks are global and unowned and won't change. The result of the law then may be that Europe is closing itself off from the future of the Internet to its detriment. Oxford law lecturer... Michelle Fink told The Verge, quote, modifying data on a blockchain is very hard. If you were to delete or modify data from the blockchain to comply with the GDPR's rights to amendment or the right to be forgotten, you wouldn't just change that piece of data, but the hash of the block containing the data and of all subsequent blocks. I think it's safe to say that currently most blockchains are incompatible with the GDPR, especially permissionless blockchains, end quote. CoinCenter's Brito concluded his post saying, quote, We're optimistic that our European friends will come to see that their legitimate privacy concerns are best addressed not through law, but through decentralizing technology itself. Open blockchain networks, cryptocurrency and general encryption are the backbone of a new, more secure and private Internet on which individuals have more control over their data and firms are less incentivized to track and spy on their users. If you have an iPhone X, then you're going to have access to some really cool new lenses that the rest of us won't be able to use. Engadget is reporting that Snapchat has leveraged the True Depth camera technology on iPhone Xs to enable lenses that will apparently look way more realistic. The True Depth camera is what allows the iPhone X's facial recognition feature that lets you unlock your phone just by looking at it and powers those Animojis. Because TrueDepth maps your face with, like, 30,000 infrared dots, Snapchat says it allows their lenses to better follow the contours of your face and with more accurate depth detection can pin that virtual mask to your face like a glove. Among the newly announced lenses are what looks like a 1980s wrestler mask, a tiara, and a Mardi Gras-style bejeweled face mask. If you're like me and need a user's manual just to operate Snapchat, here's how you find the new lenses Launch Snapchat and select the front camera. Long press on the center of the screen. The first three that show up are the new True Depth enhanced lenses. Last Friday, SpaceX launched 10 new Iridium satellites into orbit via its Falcon 9 upper stage rockets. But if you were waiting to see video of the satellite deployment itself, you were out of luck because SpaceX didn't share any video from space as it has done with recent launches. Why? Well, it turns out that SpaceX didn't share the live feed because it might not be able to anymore. It seems that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has recently decided to start enforcing an obscure law that says that commercial space companies must apply for a license to broadcast video from orbit. NOAA said in a statement last week, quote, The National and Commercial Space Program Act requires a commercial remote sensing license for companies having the capacity to take an image of Earth while in orbit. Now that launch companies are putting video cameras on stage two rockets that reach an on-orbit status, all such launches will be held to the requirements of the law and its conditions, end quote. What's weird is that the law they're citing has been on the books since at least 2010, according to CNET, and obviously SpaceX has been sending video from Earth orbit for a while now. But it seems that it has been doing so without a license. SpaceX says it is working to obtain a full license for future launches, but why this is all coming to a head now is confusing. The director of NOAA's Commercial Remote Sensing Regulatory Affairs office told Space News that her staff had not been aware of unlicensed cameras on previous SpaceX launches. Apparently, SpaceX only recently approached the agency about getting a license, so I guess this was a case of throwing yourself on the mercy of the bureaucrats, even when the bureaucrats were unaware that you were even running afoul of their regulations. But I guess what's the most confusing to me about this story is why there's a regulation about this to begin with. Recode has an interesting story up about the proliferation of so-called lawyer bots that are helping people beat small fines like parking tickets and property taxes. There's a whole slew of new technology services like Do Not Pay, Win It, and Turbo Appeal that help citizens challenge legal hassles online. Do Not Pay, for example, asks users a bunch of questions like whether parking signs were easy to read, what time of day a parking infraction occurred, and whether or not there were incorrect details on a parking ticket. They then produce a legal letter that drivers can submit. According to Do Not Pay's founder, Joshua Browder, the app has helped drivers dispute 450,000 parking tickets, winning dismissals around half the time. A similar service, Winit, has been adopted by drivers for ride-sharing apps like Via and delivery services like Postmate to dispute parking tickets in New York City. The app Turbo Appeal aims to help owners challenge property tax assessments. For around $49, the app says it uses machine learning to get detailed data that can cut the time needed to prepare an appeal down to about 30 minutes. Turbo Appeal has reportedly generated more than 100,000 property tax appeals and has claimed a success rate of more than 75% in the past. The problem, according to Recode, is that if apps like these catch on, they could really cut into state and local budgets. For example, according to the piece, property taxes represent about 30% of local government revenue, and in the case of parking tickets, while they only represent about 1% of local government revenue nationwide, some places are more reliant on parking fines than others. When Ricode asked the services about concerns from government, the response was, quote, win it. Do Not Pay and Turbo Appeal emphasized that they are simply empowering more consumers to exercise their legal rights. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. As I mentioned, there's a great piece outlining Europe's upcoming GDPR law and what it might mean for internet companies. It's called How Europe's New Privacy Rule is Reshaping the Internet. Columbia Journalism Review has a lengthy piece with some interesting behind-the-scenes details of Facebook's recently created fact-checking initiative, which is operating in conjunction with ABC News, The Associated Press, FactCheck.org, PolitiFact, and Snopes. The piece is called Checking In with the Facebook Fact-Checking Partnership. Wired has a really fascinating piece about how a group of Cambridge cybersecurity researchers are using a technique from the 19th century to trace stolen bitcoins. Quoting from the piece, the Cambridge researchers have gone so far as to code a proof of concept software tool, which they plan to release later this year, that can scan the blockchain and, starting from known instances of Bitcoin theft, theoretically identify the same tainted coins, even if they've hopped around the blockchain for years. The piece is titled, A 200 year old idea offers a new way to trace stolen Bitcoins, and it's in Wired. Finally, a really sad and disturbing piece in The Verge describing how South Korean residents, especially younger people, invested heavily in Bitcoin over the last year or so and are now facing fallout from the cryptocurrency's recent price decline. According to the piece, an estimated 3 in 10 salaried workers in Korea had invested in cryptocurrencies by December 2017, and 80% of those were people in their 20s and 30s. The title of that piece is South Korean Millennials Are Reeling from the Bitcoin Bust. As always, links to all these pieces are in the show notes. (laughs) Finally today, there's a story I've wanted to cover for a while now, but couldn't find the way to fit it in all week. You've seen the memes. You can't escape hearing about it. But what exactly is the deal with that game Fortnite? Well, TLDR, here's the skinny. Last July... A company called Epic Games released Fortnite to general indifference from video gamers. In order to spur sales, it created a free version of the game alongside the usual $40 version. Fortnite mixes genres a bit. It's a building game like Minecraft and a first-person shooter like Call of Duty or popular shoot-'em-up games going back to Doom and Quake. But the free version mimicked the Battle Royale style made popular recently by games like PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. In a battle royale, it's sort of like Hunger Games. A bunch of players are thrown onto a map, and the last player left standing is the winner. Fortnite is available on consoles, but also PCs, and by January of this year, it had attracted 40 million players, putting it in line with the most popular video games out there. The game has become a cultural phenomenon, launching countless memes as mentioned, and has become exceedingly popular viewing on video game streaming site Twitch. If you'll remember, I read a story from a while ago where Drake set a Twitch viewing record when he logged in to play Fortnite. Fortnite has been so successful that it is shaking up the entire video game industry. According to Barron's, searches for Fortnite outnumbered searches for almost all the other most popular games combined. Barron's also noted that the stocks of major video game makers like Electronic Arts, Activision Blizzard, and Take-Two Interactive have all been underperforming the S&P 500 of late, possibly due to investors' concern that the popularity of Fortnite could eat into the sales of other games like Overwatch or Call of Duty. Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite, is partly owned by China's Tencent. How is Epic Games making money on a game, the whole premise of which is that it's free to play? Well, so far, it has racked up at least $157 million by selling virtual goods, such as character costumes. Just yesterday, in fact, Epic Games launched a much-anticipated Raven skin, which it was selling for about 20 bucks. Shortly after the release of the Raven skin, Epic Games announced on Twitter that it was having difficulty processing all of the new purchases of the skin. Epic can't even handle the amount of money people are throwing at them right now, user Alec129 posted on the game's popular subreddit. That says something. Gamer website Racked summed up Fortnite's appeal this way, saying, quote, First, it's inherently social in that you can play as a squad with your in-real-life friends. Each game promises a wildly different experience based on where you drop, which weapons you find, and who happens to be around. And unlike its predecessor and inspiration, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, the aesthetic of the universe doesn't try too hard to be cool. It feels friendly in spite of the fact that Technically, you're there to kill everyone. Most importantly, you don't have to own a gaming console to play it. And, of course, it's free. The Tech Meme Ride Home was produced by Brian McCullough and the editors of TechMeme.com. Follow me on Twitter, at BrianMCC. Follow them on Twitter, at TechMeme where they post all their headlines in real time. It's a great way to follow the news throughout the day. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Don't do anything I wouldn't do.